Hello, listener, and welcome to Straight Shot Health Talk. This is the podcast that provides honest and straightforward information about health, wellness, and how to survive our crazy healthcare system. This is for people who want to focus on getting well instead of just treating symptoms. Sound like you? Then let's get started. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin here, and we are going to be talking about the Choosing Wisely campaign. Now, what is the Choosing Wisely campaign? Well, the Choosing Wisely campaign has a website, choosingwisely.org, and it was really started by the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, which is the foundation from one of the large medical societies, and it was piloted by the National Physicians Alliance, and then Consumer Reports got in since they're the nation's leading independent nonprofit consumer organization. And they basically got together and, and said, you know, we are using a lot of healthcare in the United States, way more than anybody else. A lot of it is wasteful. A lot of the, the, the tests that we're ordering and, to, and uh, procedures that we're doing are not beneficial. A lot of times we're doing the same thing over and over again, which is Einstein's definition of insanity. And we're going to bankrupt the nation and hurt, hurt people in the process. So what they did is they got together and they basically tried to talk to all the different medical societies. And if you go to choosingwisely.org, you're going to see a big old long list of different medical societies. It's kind of shocking in a lot of ways. And they said, hey, we can't do this. We need to. We're hurting people and we're spending too much money and we're going to bankrupt the United States. So could you please put together a list of, you know, things that should not be done uh, or suggestions that you would make that patients should know and other doctors should know so that we're not doing these things over and over again and causing waste and harm. And they said, just pick five of them for us. And what ended up happening is there's been a slow release over time. And this started back in 2000, 2010, 2011. I can't remember exactly. A number of societies released these lists. And there's still some more that are coming out uh, this year and in 2014. And each of these groups put out anywhere from five to, I think the longest I've seen is 15 uh, different suggestions here. Now, these are not meant to replace your physician in any way. What they are, they are to do is to both educate physicians as well as patients and the general public on some of these healthcare tests and concerns so that we can try to do something about this together. Now, I'm going to do on this episode, I'm going to go through about five of them. We're going to see how far we go. I don't want this to be a super long episode. Uh, and we're going to discuss what those are. And I'm going to put them in or I'm going to try to describe them in, in a better way. All right, because what, you know, I, I applaud this. I think it's a great initiative. But the problem that I do have with it is they made these lists, and these lists say, <laughs> say things like uh, these are things that physicians and patients should question, uh, but they really wrote them kind of for physicians and not as much as for patients. And so they don't really, uh, they really don't place the information in a way that would have been the best to educate physicians, and they do it in a way that makes it a little confusing for the patient. So I, I'm going to try to go through some of these here uh, and give my commentary, and and maybe I can do a better job. We'll see. Now I have I don't do this all the time, or I should say I do do this, but I haven't been doing it right up in the front of the podcast lately. 
And I just want to remind everybody this podcast is informational only and I am not dispensing personal medical advice. If you want the big old long disclaimer, just go to straightshothealth.com and you can see exactly what it is that that means. All right, enough of that. So we're going to talk about the American Academy of Family Physicians, uh, some of their recommendations, the American College of Physicians. American College of Physicians is uh, the college for internists. Internists are what we would call the adult doctors. They see people, they're general doctors, general practice, uh, uh, primary care physicians, but they see people over the age of 18. Uh, we're going to touch on a little bit from the American College of Pediatrics because there's some overlap there. And uh, the American College of Cardiology, so with heart things, because we're going to talk a little bit about heart stuff at the end. All right. So American College of or American County of Family Physicians went, was one of those groups that really put out a huge big list of things. They gave 15 things that physicians and patients in question. Uh, we're only going to talk about uh, five of those or four of those. I said we're going to sort of blend them together with these other specialty societies, but I'm going to start there. And the number one thing that the American Academy of Family Physicians recommended is to not do imaging for low back pain within the first six weeks unless red flags are present. Now, interestingly, the American College of Physicians, their number one recommendation for their list was don't obtain imaging studies in patients with nonspecific low back pain. All right. When you put those together, what does that mean? means basically if you have back pain and all of us are going to have back pain at some point in time and you do not have what we would call red flags uh, symptoms and I'm going to talk about those in a second then you do not want x-rays you do not want CT scans and you do not want MRIs why well as I touched on before in multiple episodes now because that things can tell you information that is harmful, meaning uh, the worst thing that can be done is that you are now describing what is essentially a normal abnormality. And these are things that are wear and tear that happened to all of us with age. And now you're saying that that is causing pain and we don't have any evidence that supports that uh, or any evidence that is or has been used in the past is extraordinarily poor. All right. Now, when do you want those to be done? Well, that really comes down to your discussion with your physician. But just to sort of put it out there, some of the warning signs that we look like or look at, big one, if you're pooping or peeing on yourself with back pain, you go to the emergency room. All right. And when people say, well, you know, I passed gas and had something. No, this means you were sitting in a chair and all of a sudden you're wet or you smell something and you look down and you have urine or fecal matter or poop all over in your pants. In that situation, you're like, whoa, something's wrong here. You go to the emergency room. Or if you can't go to the bathroom and you have back pain, I mean, no matter what you try, you can't go to the bathroom, particularly if you can't pee, you go to the emergency room for that. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the other one is if you have high fevers, uh, you know, when your temperature is over 102 or 101 and you've been shooting drugs in your skin, like you're a heroin user, in that situation, uh, there's some concern that you may have some sort of spinal infection. Very, 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 very rare, by the way. But in that situation, they, your doctor would probably want to rule it out. They're again, looking for things that they don't want to see. All right. Um, otherwise, if you can walk with your back pain, there isn't a, a big reason. Now, the last one, which I uh, forgot about until just a second, was cancer. Cancer is also a very, very, very rare cause of back pain. It does happen. Uh, and if you have a history of cancer, meaning you have had cancer in the past and you are over the age of 50 
with new back pain in that situation, you may want to talk to your doctor about getting something or getting some sort of picture of your back to look for a cancer that you hope isn't there. And again, more than likely it isn't. The The likelihood of any of these tests showing something like that is very, very low. But the problem is if you have cancer of the spine or if you have an infection in the spine or, and, and these type of things, if you miss those for long periods of time, those could be devastating. So when you have those specific symptoms, which you're talking about with your doctor, in that situation, x-ray MRI uh, may be useful to tell you that they're not there. Again, you're looking for confirmation that it isn't there. You're not looking for confirmation of something causing your back pain because, as we've said multiple times on this podcast, it will show things like bulging discs and degenerative discs and bony spurs and, um, you know, whatever other things. And that's if we took MRIs of everybody, uh, you know, a large portion of us would have it, you know, because that's wear and tear of aging doesn't necessarily mean that you have pain. And if that was the source of your pain, then we've done so much surgery in this in this nation that if those were the causes because we do all the surgery and procedures for it, we should have no back pain. That is not the case. We have as much or more back pain than anywhere else in the world and our back pain outcomes with all this aggressive care uh, is no better, if not worse than anywhere else in the world. All right. So again, if you just have pain without red flag symptoms, you do not want x-rays, CTs, or MRIs. All right. Number two here. Uh, and this is getting into the antibiotic uh, thing. And what antibiotics are is they are medications that you basically take. And what those do is they, most of the time, all they're doing is they stop bacteria, which is a little teeny kind of life form thing. Uh, from growing and then let your body kind of fight those uh, bacteria off. Um, in some situations, they may actually kill uh, the bacteria, but those are actually not very many antibiotics. Most of them are what we call bacteriostatic, or that's just a fancy way for saying is they keep the bacteria from able from reproducing, and that lets your body basically overwhelm them with your immune system. Now, there are four different recommendations here, two of them from the American Academy of Family Physicians and two of them from the American College of Pediatrics. And I'm going to read them all because they all sort of overlap here. Uh, and then I'm going to also decipher these words a little bit. So just bear with me for a second. Number one, don't routinely prescribe antibiotics for acute, mild to moderate sinusitis unless symptoms last for seven or more days or symptoms worsen after initial clinical improvement. Uh, another one, don't prescribe antibiotics for otitis media in children aged 2 to 12 years with non-severe symptoms where the observation option is reasonable. Uh, and two more here, antibiotics should not be used for apparent viral respiratory illnesses, sinusitis, pharyngitis, bronchitis, and cough and cold medicines should not be prescribed or recommended for respiratory illnesses in children under 4 years of age. <sighs> All right, so a uh, quick aside here. You, you can sort of see this the language that they use Again, uh, that's written for physicians, but the purposes of these lists in some ways is to have is to be useful for patients. And we use all this medical jargon in there. It makes it confusing. And as I said, they don't word it in the best way that would really change or at least influence physician behavior. So uh, we're kind of wishy-washy here. But what does this all mean? Basically means that what we call upper respiratory infections, Upper respiratory infections, those are the things like your common head cold, stuffy nose, most ear infections, sore throat, sometimes the coughs that you get. Most of those are from viruses, okay, cold viruses, 
or other viruses, the stuff that we get in the winter when it's cold season, right? Viruses do not respond to antibiotics, or I should say antibiotics do not affect viruses. So when you give someone who's got a virus an antibiotic, that does not mean they're going to get better. What you're basically doing is you're killing bacteria in the body, and we have good bacteria that live in our bodies. There's bacteria that serve a role. They're very important that we have. And when we use these antibiotics and we either kill them off or, or cause them harm, then what that does is it leaves room for bad bacteria to move into our bodies and cause us harm. Right? So you can actually make things worse or you can get infections in other areas of your body because when you take these pills, it's not like they just go to your nose or go to your throat. They go throughout your bloodstream so they affect you from the head to toe. All right. And if you really looked at this again, so we're talking mild to moderate symptoms for sinusitis, otitis, pharyngitis or whatever. All these itises. Itis just means inflammation. Sinusitis is really the stuff in the front of your face. Kind of you have these big pockets in your bone that are these usually there's just air in these big sinuses in the front of your face. And then when you have sinusitis, they're usually full of of pus and goobers and stuff like that. Um but when you have these ear infections or, you know, nose infections or throat infections, they said most of those are viruses. And particularly if they're less than seven days and they don't have, not horrible, okay? And, and this is always where it gets, gets difficult because people are like, oh, I just feel uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable. Mild to moderate means mild, you feel it, it's uncomfortable. Moderate, you're, you know what, this is uncomfortable and I want to do things about it. Okay, severe is like, this is so bad. I can't move and things like that. Most of the things, most infections that we have are not severe. Most of the time when we're seeing a doctor, they're just, they're about the point of the moderate. We're like, we want to do something for this. But again, less than seven days in um, these common uh, infections, most of the time you're not going to need an antibiotic. Now, this is where your physician is going to come in because you're still going to see them because you're still feeling miserable. And what you want them to evaluate is, do you have something that suggests it's a bacteria? This is extraordinarily difficult, by the way. Okay. Very, very difficult to do. And most of the times it comes down to time. If you're within, you know, four days, four to seven days of having these kind of symptoms, the vast majority of time that is going to be a virus and you shouldn't get antibiotics. So anytime you go to your doctor for a cough, cold congestion, if they're saying that they're going to give you an antibiotic, you should ask, why? All right. Because we give too many of these things and there's a whole host of reasons for it, including patient satisfaction scores and all this stuff. But you don't want to be satisfied in getting hurt with your therapy. So if you're going into your doctor, you really say, hey, is this something that makes you think I have a bacteria for which I need an antibiotic? Okay. Do I need this? That should be always the first question actually for any medication that you're getting from your doctor is, do I need this? Then the second run out of your mouth is why? And so in these situations, you really just want them to tell you, do they think it's a bacteria? It shouldn't be the vast majority of the time. And most of the times, if you go in to see your, your, your doctor, they should not prescribe you anything like this. All right. Um, you're just trying to get that reassurance that there is no bacteria presence. Again, it doesn't guarantee it 100, you know, uh, 95%. It just says most of the time you should not have an antibiotic. Now, the last one here. Uh, was the American College of uh, Pediatrics when they talked about cough and cold medicines should not be prescribed or recommended for respiratory illnesses in children under the uh, four years of age. That is very hard 
as a parent because little children, when they are sick, most of the time it's with a virus, so you don't not gonna, you don't want to have them to get uh, uh, antibiotics, but most of the time it's not antibiotics. But they are miserable, and it is awful, and we want to give them something. But they've been finding is that the decongestants, you know, the things that sort of supposedly release the stuffiness or drop the coughs or other other things can have some serious side effects here. Uh, and a lot of times there's, uh, they say is a lot of these cough and cold products, a lot of the over-the-counter ones, which they've pulled quite a few of them, may have the same ingredient. So if you're giving a multiple, multiple different medicines to your child, you may increase the risk that you're providing them too much of a medication and overdosing them on it. Um, that has happened in the past. So, but most of the time it's tincture of time with those little guys. It's going to be, you know, holding them up, making sure that they're drinking lots of fluids, trying to keep them as comfortable as, as you can, but it is pretty miserable. Now, again, you're going to see your doctor, all right, particularly if they're, you're, you know, they're uncomfortable and, and things like that. And that is more to, to see, to see if they do or to, to consider that they might have a, a, a bacterial infection. But the most, or I should say most of the time when you go to your doctor, you should not get a antibiotic. In fact, you, you go in there, you look for reassurance. Do I need this medication? Um, most of the time they should say no. And in that situation, it's, you know, it doesn't make it any easier, but you should, at least you know you're not going to potentially harm your child with a medicine that isn't going to do them any good and could worsen things. All right. Let us go now to the heart. So we're going to go, we just talked a little bit about kids and that also goes for adults as well. Most of the things that we're going in with cough, colds and congestions is viruses for adults as well. So we also don't want those antibiotics, but let's talk about the heart a little bit here. Now, both the American Academy of Family Physicians and the American College of Physicians, you know, they sort of overlapped with a lot of stuff. I kind of wonder if one of them came out with their lists and the other one just sort of agreed and decided they didn't want to have to put all the work in so they kind of rewrote the rewrote the uh, uh, the list in a little bit different way but this is about EKGs or those tests that you do um, they always are showing them on medical shows where they put the little pads on the body with the wires and then they you know that shows how the heart's beating and then there's a, a paper that has a bunch of lines that kind of look like those earthquake lines and then they hand it off to the doctor and they rush them off and do everything they do. But EKGs are basically measuring the activity in the heart. And we do that by measuring the electrical activity of the heart. And when you're putting those little sticky pads on it, um, those little lines, those, how they go up and down, uh, can tell us things about the heart. All right. There's too many of those being done. All right. You do not need, or say most people do not need to have an EKG done or for screening if you're not having any symptoms, all right? So these executive physicals or any of these fancy uh, other physicals where they're like, hey, we're going to take you in and you're going to sit with us and you're going to pay, you know, 600 bucks and we'll sit with you for two to three hours and do a barrage of tests on you. If you're not having any symptoms, you do not need an EKG. You know, there's um, a lot of what we would call false positive tests, uh, you know, that... that um, doesn't really seem to improve outcomes in any way, uh, may not really tell you any good information. Um, 
and you're not having any symptoms. It's like, that's the thing for me is if you're not showing any symptoms and there's no suspicion that your doctor has that you're having any sort of problems with your heart, you know, what, what's the therapy going to be? They're going to want to put you on a bunch of drugs, you know, that'll give you some symptoms or, or what it, it's, it's just, it just, just cracks me up. So anyway, unless you are having symptoms and th- symptoms like chest pain or your heart feels like it's beating weird, um, other things for which your doctor would ask you the questions on, uh, you don't want to have uh, an EKG performed. All right. And that, the big one with that one is, um, they can cause some inaccurate results. As I said, is sometimes they just may show something that you're like, not quite sure on. In fact, the worst thing that medical tests do is n- none of them really say not there, right? Some of them do very, very, some not there. And very few of them are like, whoa, this, you have this, this is bad news. Very, very few of them say that. Most of the time they say, well, we're not exactly sure. And that not quite sure thing doesn't make anybody feel any better. And then that can lead to a whole bunch of more invasive tests trying to determine uh, if the first one actually showed something or not. So again, you're, if you were not having any sort of chest pain, there's no reason that anybody would be concerned about your heart and you're just going into some fancy executive physical, you do not want an EKG. You just don't want it done. All right, the second one here, uh, or the kind of follow-up here, is I'm going to go into the American College of Cardiology. They had two uh, suggestions when it comes to your heart as well. The first one is don't perform stress cardiac imaging or advanced non-invasive imaging in the initial evaluation of patients without cardiac symptoms unless high-risk markers are present. Uh, and the second one is don't perform annual stress cardiac imaging or advanced non-invasive imaging as part of routine follow-up in asymptomatic patients. So again, big old jumbled terminology there. What it is basically saying is don't do, so we talked about EKGs, which are just the little sticky things where they look at just the electrical activity, but these are the more advanced kind of heart uh, tests that they do where they stick not only the little sticky things and look at you know the electrical activity of the heart, but they put you on a treadmill or they put you on or they inject dye into your blood veins and then stick you on a treadmill and they start looking at your heart with ultrasound while they're doing it you know much more i can't say they're they're a little bit more aggressive they're much more involved but the second half of both of those was one without cardiac symptoms the second one said in asymptomatic patients that's the same thing that basically means if you are not having symptoms or there is no uh, suggestion that you are having problems with your heart. Again, you're not having chest pain. You're not having weird heartbeats that you're feeling, you know, other things that you would talk to your doctor about. Then there's no reason to get them, right? Why? Well, because oftentimes they're not very useful, all right? And they often will not, uh, or should they say they'll show things that are not a concern? Or they're inconclusive, like I talked about before, because there are very few tests that say, yes, you have this, or no, you don't have this. Most of them say, eh, we kind of think you might have something here. And if you do not have what we, symptoms, if you do not have something that makes, you, makes it concerning for anybody, now what we're doing is we're just causing concern on your end and for the doctor, because the doctor's now like, oh, well, I don't know what this means, and this doesn't didn't rule out anything, so now I have to do more tests to confirm or deny this. And the farther up the chain as you go into these diagnostic tests, 
the more what we call invasive they are, meaning they start sticking things in your veins. They start injecting things in your blood flow. In the worst situations, they start sticking little plastic tubes all the way up towards your heart and injecting dye. And those can cause, you know, risk of bleeding and stroke and heart attack by themselves. And if you are not having any symptoms to begin with, why put yourself through that? Now, some people say, well, you know, my uncle's cousin or my uncle's cousin's brother, he did one of these screening tests, you know, that, you know, paid the 250 or 300 or 400 or $500 that, you know, hospitals and things will, will uh, advertise these for, for heart screening and things. And they caught whatever the case may be. And it saved him. Well, first of all, if you was asymptomatic, you have no idea whether or not that that was actually going to become symptomatic in the future. Second of all, we're not talking about all the, you know, no one ever talks about the people who have these tests done and then get hurt by them. So having seen someone who had a stroke because of a catheter, you know, when they stick one of these tubes in their, their, uh, up, up into their heart, which was obviously not intended, but is a risk from these, these are something you want to do only if you have a really, really good reason to do so. All right. So again, if you don't have symptoms, and these are chest pain, you know, you can't breathe when you're walking around, your heart's beating in weird ways, or you're feeling your heart beat really strongly in, in situations that it shouldn't, then then you really don't want these. And if your doctor recommends them and you are not having those symptoms, okay, again, you just walked in and you were having a physical done and they said, well, we should do this. You should ask them why, all right? You know, why Why do you want to do that? And they should have a pretty good explanation for it. And I would also say in some situations, you may want to get your own, you know, do your own little bit of research here. You can go to the Choosing uh, Choosing Wisely website. Um, and they have some decent information on there. Uh, but you're, a lot of it depends on the relationship that you have with your doctor as well. Okay, do you have a trusting relationship? Have you seen them for a while? But you don't have to take any of this stuff blindly, particularly if you are not having symptoms. Again, if you are having horrible chest pain and it feels like an elephant standing on your chest and your heart's beating all over the place and you can't breathe, that's a different situation. Right? That's an, you know, in most cases an emergency and you're going to have all, all this stuff done and we're really good at all that stuff. But if you are not having any symptoms, you're not having any chest pain, you're not having any weird heartbeats, you're not having shortness of breath, you're active, you can go up three or four flights of stairs without difficulty, these tests aren't going to tell you anything. Uh, they're going to be, at a minimum, a waste of money, and at a maximum, they may lead you to potential harm. All right, so I have been talking here for over 20 minutes. I am hoping that I explain these in such a way that is somewhat useful for you. Please let me know if they're not. Uh, I do have um, more of these that I can go into in, the future epi- in a future episode. Uh, that uh, in particular, there's some on pain that I do want to get into. I'm trying to not talk a whole lot about pain all the time um, because I could, <laughs> uh, and that is not, I, I want this to be, or this podcast to be useful to, to other people as well, not just people who are having chronic pain. So thank you all again for joining me. I look forward to hearing from you again from next week. And again, any questions, just let me know until next time. Stay well. Bye-bye folks.